I want to jump right in. Uh, so turn on your Bibles to John chapter 9. And uh, we don't have anything for you on the screen tonight, so hopefully you've got your phone with you or you actually have one with pages and uh, can look it up. We're going to look at John chapter 9, and we're going to be starting in uh, the very first verse. It says, as he, and this is Jesus, as Jesus went along, he saw a man blind from birth. Okay, so stop right there. Have you ever thought about that? What it would be like to be blind from birth? I mean, how hard would life be, right? How difficult would it be to have never seen a tree or a flower or your mom or your dad? To be blind from birth, I don't think that any of us in here can imagine what it's like. I mean, if you think about it for us, I mean, if we were to close our eyes and I said, okay, everybody, keep your eyes closed and make it back to your room. (laughs) I mean, it would be chaotic, wouldn't it? Life would be so difficult. And the reality is, although none of us have been blind from birth, life is difficult, isn't it? I mean, if you've lived long enough, and looking at this crowd, you've lived long enough. (laughs) Yeah, you know. (laughs) Oh, okay, sorry, sorry. I just, you know, if you're more than 20, you know, if you're right right in your 20s, it looks like most of you are. So, uh, no, if you... But if you've lived long enough, and seriously, you don't have to live that long these days, especially for life to be hard. I don't know if you have kids, but, um, uh, you know, one of the commitments that we made as parents was to send our kids to public schools because we wanted them to be light in a dark place. But you know what? Man, life is not easy at school these days, is it? So you don't have to live very long to know that life can be hard. And none of us, none of us escape that. And for you, um, who knows, you might in your past, you might have abuse. You might have cancer. Maybe you have a relationship that was just really difficult Divorce, loss, pain, physical pain, emotional pain, relational pain, whatever it is, the reality is life is hard, isn't it? And no one is exempt. But the thing is, is we work really hard to avoid pain, don't we? (laughs) I mean, we spend a lot of money. And we spend a lot of time trying to avoid pain in our lives. But you never know, do you? You never know when you're going to get the phone call or when you're going to get the news, when a parent is going to call and tell you about a diagnosis. 
or a policeman's going to call <laughs> and tell you where to pick up your kids, your kid. You just never know. And we can work hard to avoid it. But the reality is, none of us do. And the man born blind knew struggle, and he knew pain. And it was a part of his everyday life, and many of us do too. So let's go back and look at verse 2 here. It says, his disciples asked him, wow, you guys are good. There you go, Shane, you're on it. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Great question, right? I mean, his disciples have, I mean, that's the question we all ask, isn't it? When pain comes our way, we want to know whose fault is this? How did this happen, right? And whose fault is it? And I don't know about you, but if you've uh, been in a time when you've really had pain, last summer I was in Cambodia, and I was in uh, the village where we work. And uh, there's a a family that's been very special to us, and so I went over to see that family when we got to the village, and I saw the mom and dad as I came into their little hut, and they just burst into tears when they saw me. And it was not tears of joy. And they started jabbering, and I didn't understand them, and I could tell something was wrong, and they kept saying, nah, nah, you know, this, and, and, and nah. So I knew their little girl, nah, she's about 12 years old. And I thought, man, something is seriously wrong with nah. And so I went back uh, to the school, uh, and I found my son, Zach. And uh, my son, Zach, had been living there for a couple of years, and he speaks Kamai. And so I went and I said, Zach, there is something wrong. Can you come with me and help me understand what's going on with with Nah? There's something wrong. And so he went to their home and um, he, uh, the mom and dad kind of took him out behind the house. And I stayed out in front of the house as I was explaining to someone else kind of what this family had meant to our family because they were the first family we met when we got to the village, and they'd become very dear, and we had been through a lot with them. And so I kind of explained this uh, to one of the other folks that was on the team, and then I headed around, and, and I caught up with Zach, and Zach was just kneeling on the ground, and he was crying. And he looked up to me, and he said, Dad, he go, Nah, didn't make it. He goes, Nah's dead. And I was like, what? And we just stood there for, I don't know, it seemed like forever. We just cried. And and what they had done is they had taken us back to this little uh, heap of ashes. And they explained the story to Zach that just three days before we had got there, Nah had died. And just uh, three days before that, she was climbing in a tree to get a piece of fruit and she was bitten by a snake. And she was afraid to tell her parents because her parents had told her, don't climb the trees, it's dangerous. And so she waited and she didn't tell her folks and she got really sick really fast. And by the time her folks found out how 
or what had happened, her friends told her folks what had happened. They couldn't get out of the village because there had been so much rain the next day. And so by the third day, they scraped up all the money they had, just a few dollars, and they hired a taxi to take them to the nearest clinic, which was about mm, 30 minutes away in the little border town of Poipet. And so they scooped her up, and they, they, they hired a taxi to take her there, and they took her to the clinic. And uh, the doctor took her, and he took her into the back. He examined her, and he came out, and he said, she's going to need a blood transfusion. Do you have any money? And they said, no, we don't have any money. And he said, okay, please wait here. And they waited, and they waited. They probably got there at 10, 11 o'clock in the morning, and they waited until 8, 9 o'clock. And the doctor came back out, and he said, you can come get your daughter. And when they went back there, she was dead. You see, he had let her die because they couldn't afford to pay for a blood transfusion. And so they scooped up their little girl and they made their way back to the village and they cremated her body. And as I stood there over that heap of ashes, I was like, God, why? Why could you let this happen? Whose fault is it, God, that you could allow this precious little girl to die? And I don't know if you've ever been there. Maybe you've not lost a child, but you've been at times in your life when you've looked at whatever it is in your own life or maybe a life of somebody very special to you, and you have gone, God, why? And you know what? That question is okay. God can handle that question, can't he? When we're mad, when we're angry, when we don't understand, and we say, God, why? He can handle that. And it's okay, and it's part of the grief process. But the problem is, is when we get stuck there. When we get stuck and we say, God, why? And we don't feel like God answers us. And we don't feel like we get the satisfaction or the, uh, the answer we're looking for. And we get, we get stuck there. And when we get stuck in our pain and our anger and our woundedness, they seep into our souls. And we try to hide it and we try to be, you know, smiley on the outside, but the inside, the inside, there's just this festering wound, if you will. I, um, I love to play basketball. Uh, it is uh, my joy. I, uh, I love to watch basketball. I'm a big Denver Nuggets fan. And um, I played in a, church, a few church leagues uh, in my time. Anybody play in a church league basketball? 
Yeah, and you live to tell about it. That's pretty good. <laughs> That's a rough league, isn't it? In those church leagues. And, um, and so we played in this league, and, uh, and there was a guy that was on our team, and he was, he was an older gentleman. Um, I'm not going to say his age, because I might get in trouble, but let me say he was older, and, um, and he had actually uh, graduated with De- from Denver Seminary with my dad. Okay, so this is a guy that been to seminary, uh, had walked with the Lord for a long time, wonderful guy, until he got on the basketball court. <laughs> and it was like, he got out there the first game, you know, and, and, and at first I'm like, okay, I hope he doesn't, you know, break a hip or something. And, um, and he was actually pretty good. He hustled a lot, but man, his anger just rose to the surface when he got on the basketball court. I mean, it was like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. I, I did not recognize him. I mean, he was yelling at the refs, and he was throwing elbows, and he was cussing at the other team. And I am like, what is going on? And I thought, eh, you know, bad day or whatever. And this, this continued to go on. And I am like, what? What is it? And finally, I mean, I was kind of the one who organized the team and everything. So finally, I mean, guys are coming to me. The refs are coming to me. The people in the league are coming to me. And they're like, you got to get, you got to control this guy. So I finally sit down. I'm like, Ed, what is going on? I mean, I don't even recognize you out there. And Ed began to he went all the way back to his childhood and began to tell me about what it was like for him when he was on the basketball court and his dad was in the stands. And he talked about how hard his dad was on him and how difficult it was when he missed a shot or he didn't perform the way his dad thought he should. And he just, you know, this was probably 50 plus years. And then he talked about how it manifested itself in him with his sons. And how it had almost torn his relationship with his son apart. And there was this deep-seated anger And you wouldn't know it until, you know, it just got poked just right. Or somebody said just the right thing, right? And and you walk around, and if you are continuing, you you got this, God, why? Why did you let that happen to me? How could you do that? I mean, if you're all loving and you're all powerful, how Could this happen? And somebody says something and it just, or it shuts you down. Somebody says something and you just run and hide. That's why I think the next couple of verses are so important. Let's look at what Jesus says to his disciples. 
Look at verse number three with me. It says, neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Did you get that? Did you get that? That the work of God might be displayed in him. Being born blind. And he had been blind. It's all, it says, you know, a man. So, you know, in, in that culture, maybe 15, but maybe 40. So, you know, 30 years of not being able to see, see anything. Why? So that the power of God could be displayed in his life. You see, folks, God allows hard things. He allows difficult things in our lives. Why? Because he wants to use them. He wants to display his power in your life. And he wants to use those difficult, hard things for his glory. And one of the things that I learned at Bear Valley when I was just a kid is I learned that it's not about me. (laughs) That life is not about me. It's about God. And it's about His glory. And folks, that has carried me through some of the most difficult times in my life. Because when difficult times come, And when I'm standing over a grave of a little girl that we've known for 10 years and has been a part of that program in our school, and we have just loved and who dearly loves Jesus, and I am standing there going, why, God, why? I don't have a lot of answers at that moment, but I know this. I know that God can use it for his glory. That it's not about me in those moments. It's not even about Na or her family. It's about God and his glory. And I don't know about you, but I go, that, that would be enough, right? That's a good enough answer. But Jesus goes on. And in chapter, or in verse 4, he says, As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. What? <laughs> what? Jesus, what are you talking about? What does this have to do with a, a man born blind and, and the struggle and the hurt and the pain and, the, and God's glory? I think it has everything to do with it. Because Jesus says, he goes, as long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. He didn't say, I must do the work. He said, we. And he's not just talking to his disciples there. He's talking to all of us. This is a collective we. He says, folks, we have got work to do. 
There are things that God has called you to do. And he connects those oftentimes to our pain. There was a a family in our church when I was just a young kid, probably when I was uh, even in elementary school. And I still remember this pretty well. Their names were Val and Arnie Schneider. And Val and Arnie Schneider um, were a young couple. At the time, the church was pretty small. And, um, and they, uh, they had their first baby boy. His name was Greg. And uh, Greg was probably mm, just a few months old. Okay, he wasn't very old. And uh, Val went into his, uh, into his room. I guess he was old enough to sleep in a crib. So what is that? How old is that? Immediately, yeah, as soon as he can. All right, whatever, it doesn't matter. But he was in his crib, and, um, and she went in there, and, they, and she found him dead. And they don't know exactly what happened. They believe that maybe he uh, got strangled uh, in the crib bars or something, but there was really not a good explanation of what happened. And folks, it devastated our church. And there was a lot of moments of, God, why? And I remember, even as a kid, that, uh, that our church just gathered around this dear family, this dear couple. And they went through some really difficult days. It was not easy. There was a lot of grief, a lot of suffering. But you know, they worked through it. And... Um, and they kept moving. And probably within about a year or so, or a couple of years, Val and, Arnie, Val and Arnie begin to seek out other couples in our community that had lost children. Because even though they didn't have all the answers, they thought, man, we need to walk with people that don't have people to walk with them. And over the next, I don't know how many years, probably 20 years, probably to this day even, Val and Arnie are ministering to people who have lost children. Folks, I can't imagine how difficult that would be. First of all, how difficult it would be to lose a child, but then to come alongside and just grieve and walk and love people that are going through such difficulty. And the other thing that I learned, or another thing that I learned at Bear Valley was that oftentimes out of our pain comes our calling. Out of our pain comes our calling. And Val and Arnie Schneider are a beautiful example of how God used something so difficult for his glory. Do you know how many people they have had the opportunity to share Christ with over the years? Dozens, scores of people that they've come alongside and pointed to Christ in their times, in the time of greatest need. You see what Jesus is saying? He says, look, 
Yes, this man was born blind. Why? For his glory. And he said, look, we have work to do. Because this time on earth is short. And there are people that need Christ. And there is a kingdom of God that needs to be built. And that's how his glory comes about. But pain isn't the only place that our calling comes from. Oftentimes, it can come from our comfort, right? We had some um, folks in our church. He was a doctor. And uh, Carla said that my friend Rusty is the one that told her I was going to break up. Okay, well, this was Rusty's folks, okay? So he was my best friend. And his, mom, his dad was a doctor, and they lived, you know, out in the suburbs in Reet Ridge. I used to love to go to their house. They had a big house. Rusty had all the best toys. And we were just great buds. And I watched as Rusty's parents, out of their own comfort, I mean, a doctor's salary, right? But they got a heart for people in the inner city, and they went to downtown Denver to Five Points, one of the dangerous parts of Denver used to be. And they saw that people didn't have adequate care, uh, access to health care. And so probably about 40 years ago, they started the inner city health clinic down in Five Points. And Rusty's dad and, and his mom, they decided that they would do half their practice up in Wheat Ridge, and the other half they would go down and give their services away to the poorest of the poor in Denver. And I mean, you could live on half a doctor's salary, right? <laughs> but they did it because God called them. So sometimes our calling comes out of our comfort. Sometimes it comes out of our circumstances. Carla mentioned that our oldest son we adopted from Romania. And it just happened to be at the time we lived in Germany. And it was during the time when the wall was coming down and people began to go into Romania and they saw all these kids in orphanages. And there was a need for, for families for these kids and some good friends of ours uh, that were in the military decided they wanted to go adopt. And so Carla and I were like, you know what? We're here. We've got good friends that we can do this with. I had felt like I wanted to adopt since I was in high school. I don't know why, or I didn't. <laughs> and it was like all the stars aligned, right? The circumstances came together. And so sometimes God calls us out of our circumstances, but folks, most of the time, at least in what I've experienced, God calls us out of our pain so that he can use it for his glory and for his kingdom. And when we're going, God, why? We need to learn to ask the question of, God, why? Same question, but very different, right? The difference between God, why? And God, why? And so tonight, as you think about your own life, are there areas, are there things in your lives where you're like, mm, you're holding on? And it may be something that happened decades ago. 
And it may be something that happened a month ago. But it may be time for you to go from, God, why? To God, why? What do you have for me, Father? And how can you use this for your glory? Story's not over. Let's look at John chapter 9, verse 6. And it said, after saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with his saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. (laughs) Have you ever thought about this? (laughs) I mean, right? It's like, what? That's so weird, isn't it? I mean, how do you think this went down? Right? Do you think that Jesus went, "Eh, tui? And just all this mud, you know, came out? No, I picture it like, (laughs) you know, and he starts playing with it a little bit, and he's like, oh, not enough. Hey, Peter, Bartholomew, Andrew, come on over here. Get in here, guys. You know, and they're all sitting around. They're trying, you know, it's dry there, right? And they're working on this mud, and they're trying, and they're working on it, and they finally get enough. Now, picture the blind man for a second, okay? Right? (laughs) He's sitting there, yeah. (laughs) He's sitting there, and he's going, ooh, uh, uh, that doesn't sound good. And all of a sudden, the next thing you know is he feels this kind of warm, sticky, you know, on his eyes. (laughs) And it says that Jesus says, go, he told him, and wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. How about you? But I'm like, yep, right away. I'm going. <laughs> not, easy, or not hard to obey that one. And so the man went and washed. And imagine that moment when he went to the pool, probably a pool he had been in a thousand times. And he goes down in there and he washes his eyes. And all of a sudden, for the first time, (laughs) he can see water. You know, the, the, whatever, the dog on the side of the pool, you know, the person over there, and the, you know, what, for the first time, he can see. And people are watching and they're like, what? And God receives glory. And this man is healed. And redemption comes into his life. Folks, I don't know about you, but that's what I want. And I really believe that when we go from God, why? to God, why? That he can take those broken, wounded, hurting places in our lives and he can redeem those and he can use them for his glory. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you. Um, 
Thank you that you do redeem. And God, as we journey together and as we come together even this night, um, Father, I pray that even in these moments, that the pain that is a part of everyone's life, God, no one escapes it. We live in a broken, fallen world. And God, I know um, that there are people in here that are, that are hurting, that are wounded. And so, God, I pray that even in these moments, um, you would come and you would begin to show them redemption. God, that you would begin to work in those places. And God, that they would lift their eyes from their own hurt and pain and that they would see you and that they would see others and that they would hear your calling on their lives. We pray these things in your name. Amen.